They never cross uh, the line. Emotionally, they do. But I physically, no. Um, emotionally, I, they do. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, David. Hey, guys. Before we get started, I just wanted to give a quick disclosure that this episode contains discussion of sexual assault and socio-racial politics. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched A Time to Kill. It's one of those things that like, I almost forgot how much I love this movie as a kid, which is weird to say, given the subject matter. Um, but I, would, I remember like several times not knowing what I wanted to rent at Blockbuster and walking around and then just being like, you know what? I'm going to rent A Time to Kill again. Um, and then eventually, you know, bought the DVD have seen it several times since then i haven't watched it in a while though um and i forgot how good this movie is and it's like surprisingly has like a little bit of a a checkered reception um i would have thought a lot of that would have done had to do with like the racial politics of the movie but i guess it more had to do with uh, at least at the time people were uh, upset that it promoted like vigilante murder <laughs> um and now we have like all these superhero movies that promote vigilante murder yeah you gotta have the sokovia accords i um i love this again um the as we'll talk about soon the beginning is so rough but the rest of it is so well done there's so many like tiny choices in the movie that just make it excel that much more to me and i was like fucking full-on tears at the end of this movie um and i've i know how it ends i've seen it so many times but i just think it's so well done and it, it's so like affecting um what did you think i mean i'm the crier david and and i didn't i didn't cry although i really i, I really liked the movie and i thought um what a great way to for the movie to end and i thought it was really emotional but i didn't cry so that says something either about you or me or both of us. But um, now, hold on. When you say you were a kid, how old are we exactly talking about? I mean, this came out when I was nine. Um, so I don't know, 10 to, 10 to 13. I wasn't driving myself. I had to like get a ride to the Blockbuster. I don't know when I bought the movie though myself. Um. When uh when I was a kid and, and my family took the family trip to Blockbuster, um, we chose a movie. Sometimes we chose two movies, you know, one for me and one for my parents. <clears throat> um, but most of the time we just chose one movie for like the family movie night, Saturday night or whatever. Uh, was that like the same thing for you? Like when you walked out of Blockbuster and you're, your dad saw it's like oh sh- fucking shit you picked a time to kill again no or, we all or was got, this we like all, your movie we all got our own stuff a lot of the times it, it would depend sometimes we'd go get like the new movie to watch and other times it'd be like all right let's all we can all get something um or like me and my brothers would you know split like oh we'll all get this um but yeah, no, it wasn't like I was choosing this. And we're like, all right, we're all watching a, 
a time to kill again um it's just <laughs> i'm just imagining it's like oh it's david's turn to choose the movie of the week and your brother's like oh, damn it he's just gonna choose a time to kill again um no but is that how it happened like it, it was so long ago for me uh for when blockbuster shut down but is it like when a new movie hits theaters it's like you know you wait nine months and then it hits blockbuster and it's like a, a it's a poster right like they usually put a poster in the window of the blockbuster being like hey uh october sky available to rent or something like that right uh yeah yeah usually that's how that's how you would do it i remember <laughs> i remember one time i uh i rented a movie from blockbuster and on the back it said like and nudity and so I took like a white piece of the paper and taped over the nudity part so my parents wouldn't see it once I brought it home. And then I went back to Blockbuster and found it and I tried to get it off quickly and I couldn't. I was like, I'm going to get caught and I just fucking left it. So it was like always like marked out. Uh, and the other thing I would do, apparently I did this as like a five-year-old, um, but I don't know if you've ever seen the Jennifer Connelly movie where she's like in the store riding the like animatronic like horse no not animatronics not the right way to say you know i know i know know what you're i know what you're talking about but i like the like the quarter pony in front of a yeah yeah yeah. convenience so it's called career opportunities but i didn't know what it's called i had to look it up real quick but apparently five-year-old david would just pick up this movie all the time and want to watch it and i also just pick up like (laughs) my dad said i was like not like i was so tiny that like the movie was dragging on the floor as i was bringing it to him but it would just like have like a hot chick on the front of it every single time. And it was like this one. <laughs> I used to do that um, with my mom in like um, Borders bookstore, but it was with the uh, magazines. The, so you grabbed porn mags? No, because I was little. Like the porn mags were like either behind the shelf or way on top. I, I grabbed like Cosmopolitan or something like that with like Jessica Simpson on it or something. Yeah. Right. Those are um, those are two things that were happening in 1999. Um, the the other thing is too is oh, just real quick wrapping up on our blockbuster nostalgia here. I always went in for the live action Scooby Doo, and they never fucking had the live action Scooby Doo, and it was disheartening. Yeah, one time we got a couple movies and then we went to the grocery store next door and we left the movies on a random shelf and we let the blockbuster know and one of the movies was going to be 150 bucks that is how much we're gonna have to pay for losing it was it a the live action scooby-doo it was like unfortunately not no and it was it, like, it didn't make sense. It was like, we had one really, really new movie and that was like 20 bucks. And then a different one that was kind of older and it was going to be like 150. But luckily someone returned it after a week, which means they grabbed it, like watched it <laughs> and, then, and then took it back, which was, I guess the nicest way they could have done it. Uh, yeah, I mean, they returned it. So a time to kill. No, I really like this movie. Um, I thought the way it handled a lot of things that when you told me what this movie was about, First of all, I didn't realize, I guess I should have, but I didn't realize quite when this took place, where this took place. So when you said 
Samuel L. Jackson murdered the guys that raped and hurt his daughter. And he's, you know, his defense lawyer is Matthew McConaughey. I didn't realize how racial politics were quite like the motivation of this whole movie. Um, I don't like to witness uh, violent acts, especially against uh, women, little girls or anything like that. So when you told me that part about the movie, my biggest fear was how was the film going to handle the viewership on that part of it. Um, But I think the movie handled everything really well the politics the racial stuff the the rape i think it it got what it wanted to get through and it didn't bombard the audience with it if that makes sense no yeah i i agree i i also think the scene is handled in in such a way like it's actually over pretty quickly um and you really don't know the full like breadth of what happened to her until like the very end with uh, <laughs> when Matthew McConaughey describes it. Yeah. Um, it's still like such a tough thing to watch. It's tough. It's almost more tough on like rewatch because you know, it's coming. Um, I guess you knew it was coming because you read what was going to happen, but the, it opens with like this like juxtaposition of her getting groceries. Right. And it's like very quiet. There's almost no sound. And then these two rednecks driving around in a truck, just fucking with as many like black people as they can, just being assholes, being like racists. And, um, and they're just being loud and you know, like we're on a collision course. Right. And this little girl is doing nothing, but being like trying to get out of their way. And then it's just like, they just decide, well, one of them mostly and the other goes along with it, but just decide like, this is the day that they're going to do like this despicable thing and they don't, you know, they, they don't, they can't show it. Like this isn't something you can show, but they show it. They, they show enough to where you know what has happened and it's still just awful. And the the, the worst, the worst part to me too is afterwards when the little girl comes home and, and Samuel Jackson is there and she's like, I'm sorry, I dropped the groceries. And you're just like, Oh my God. I mean, like, just like how this has like affected her. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because definitely um, by the time that scene ends, it's not like you have a breath of relief being like, oh, at least that's over. No, it's just it's just kind of worse from there. Um, At least the way you feel as the audience. Uh, The the other thing, too, is that when the reverend from the other church comes to try to basically bribe and like, um, I guess uh, there's probably a more law terminology for this, but like coerce the, the church to donate the money for the NAACP that doesn't put those black people in that good of a light either, you know? Yeah. I think that's probably one of the, I mean, that's one of the nitpicks you could have with the movie is the way it portrays the NAACP, which is funny because 
this movie and Samuel Jackson actually won an NAACP award the year this was released. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it doesn't show the NAACP in like the worst light. It's mostly like this character well, that because they're, lied they're, to the. Well, they didn't lie so much. The pastor maybe lied a little, but the, what they're focusing on, all, focusing on is the big picture of how this affects black people in America Whereas Samuel Jackson and Matthew McConaughey are, we have this one single case that we need to win. And Matthew McConaughey even kind of says under his breath about the, um, the lawyer that they brought in, like, oh, you know, sometimes you guys will throw cases because it's better for the cause to have a martyr. And so it's like, that's what, yeah, I kind of wish they'd like played that point a little further, but that is like one of the points to make. I mean, the other, the other, I think fault you can put with this movie. Um, but I still think it's a great movie is that you're, you have this story that's dealing with, you know, a, a racial issue in America, but you can't tell it except through like a white character. Right. That was and another focus, thing I was going to focus say. it. And like, it focuses on, on how it affects the white character, the Matthew McConaughey character. No, for sure. I mean, that's another thing I was going to say. It's almost like the the black person is in trouble and you need like the white savior, you know, kind of like that angle of a movie. It kind of, I don't think that would fly today. Um, Especially how everyone on his team, Sandra Bullock, Oliver Platt, Donald Sutherland are also all white. I think if it was made today, you would need at least one or two black people on that like court setting on the team well I, th- I think i think it does help though and i don't want to talk about his speech too much now but samuel jackson's speech at the end explains why he needed matthew mcconaughey and i think that does at least if you buy it kind of help like where the movie is coming from um you mentioned oliver platt oliver platt i love in this movie he's like oh the my only God. amazing comic relief in this um he's not too much though well, and apparently uh, Donald Sutherland wanted to have his, his, this is based on a book. And in the book, his character is more of a drunk. And the director, Joel Schumacher, was like, no, I don't want to go that far. Um, which is also funny, because when I learned that Joel Schumacher directed this, the only thing I knew Joel Schumacher had directed were Batman, the Batman's with, nipple, with nipples movies, um, which I love, by the way. So as a kid, I know they're not great but he's also directed a ton of other great stuff and this is probably this is my favorite of anything he's directed but um what killed it, the dinosaurs the ice age that was horrible but you get whatever was that your schwarzenegger that was my schwarzenegger doing uh um mr freeze yeah now if he is a doctor why don't they just call him dr free anyways look the point is is Joel Schumacher is very. Uh, he lost his license. <laughs> That's true. Um, Joel Schumacher, I was surprised when I saw his name pop up as the director because I was like, also just known for the George Clooney Batman, and him being like an extremely um, colorful director. Like he goes, he's very um, extreme and, and cartoonish. And this is not, this is very like toned down for him. So I was, I was happily surprised how good this movie is. Um, so we talk about Oliver Platt. 
Sandra Bullock, for a while, I was like, why is she credited so high? Because she she was in the beginning of the movie, but she didn't really say much. And then finally, like, she had more to do later on. Um, I thought she was a cool character. I did not like a couple things what they did to with her character, but I wanna I wanna get into that when we get there. The other thing about this movie is there are so many different people that you recognize down to his secretary who's from Angels in the Outfield, if you're a kid. Uh, I've never seen Angels in the Outfield. Oh my dear lord. I don't think so. Um, no, I have, but it's been a while. Yeah. Um you know, Officer Looney, you know, uh obviously you know uh Kiefer Sutherland, Donald Sutherland. There's just like Kevin Spacey. So many... Yeah, and I like, you know, it's troubling right now to do a Kevin Spacey movie, but the thing is, is he's such an asshole in so many of his roles. I feel like you can still do the asshole roles, you know? And um this one doesn't disappoint. And when you meet him too, like the first time you meet him, he's like, all right, well, he's like, oh, it, you know, Matthew McConaughey is the other attorney. He's like, oh, it's not even my birthday. And then he finds out who the judge is. And the judge is named Judge Noose, which is like, come on. Um, <laughs> but it's like, he's like, oh, wow, it is my birthday. And then he talks about how, oh, he's going to ask for a change of venue. And uh, the law clerk's like, well, why does that matter? And then he does the whole thing about, he's like, you know, black people. Well, he says blacks, which, you know, just makes you sound a little more racist but black people uh make up 30 percent of this county they make up 45 percent of every other county sometimes 70 percent so we need an all-white jury and it's like nothing all of what he's saying is like you probably like strategy wise you agree with but just under the surface you're like nah he's a fucking asshole like you can just tell from the start and there's nothing in this movie that makes you think otherwise like throughout the whole thing every every time kevin spacey said blacks it just internally, I was like, it's just, it's more the way he said it. I just didn't like it at all. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, for, for their roles, great cast. Um, I was very surprised to see Kiefer Sutherland in the role he's in, in this movie. But he does a very good job in doing it so let's let's one thing real quick too hop matthew to. mcconaughey actually went out for Kiefer sutherland's role and he was like and then he read it and was like shit i really wanted to be jake Bergantz, but there's no way i'm gonna get that and then he fucking gets it because this is one of his first like really serious parts he just wanted to he just wanted that role so he could make out with ashley judd and hopefully Sandra Bullock, but that never comes through. Um, so, I, you know, yeah, we'll get back into it. You know, we meet Matthew McConaughey. He's inherited this practice from Donald Sutherland, but he has no clients, severely in debt. And then, you know, we see him in a restaurant and he finds out about Samuel L. Jackson's daughter. And we find out that he has this relationship with him. One interesting thing about this is... Um, the fact that they were arrested at all is only like one, you could probably attribute it to the fact that there's a black sheriff. And then two, the fact that they're so stupid that they left the fucking shoe like in the truck. Right. But otherwise, like the chances of them even being arrested 
in Mississippi, you would think would be really low. And the scene where, <laughs> where he goes to, I don't remember their names, but he goes to like the dumber of the two racist guys or like the, the one who talks less. Um, and he's like, I seen you play for the Rams. Uh, my mama voted for you. So I think it's okay that someone that's been on, that a black guy that's been on TV can be the sheriff. You're like, oh my God, the guy. I didn't even, I didn't even catch that. I just, I, I, I don't know their names. I know one's Billy Ray and that's about it. Because how, how can you forget a, a name like Billy Ray, you know? Right. Well, yeah, you got Billy Ray and then Freddie Lee is Kiefer Sutherland. And then, yeah, I don't ever remember the names. I'm just like racist dude number one or racist dude number two. Because uh, as we're going to find out, they don't make it far in the movie. Um, <laughs> no. Because next, Samuel Jackson goes to Matthew McConaughey's office. And he's like, he, like it's a really good scene to set up like what's going to happen. And he's like, you know, those four white boys in that other county, they got off, didn't they? And he's like, yeah. He's like, Jake, if I'm, if I'm in trouble, can I count on you? And, uh, you know, afterwards when, uh, and he asks, he's like, you know, you have a daughter, what would you do? And so after all of this, Jake goes to his wife and tells her, and she's like, he's going to do something. You need to call the sheriff. And I, I did read that in the book, he actually does tell the sheriff and the sheriff kind of just says, Oh, no, no nothing's probably going to happen. Um, the next scene is so this is one of those ones that's just so well done. Like him hiding in the closet as the guys walk in. Yeah. First of all, as they're leaving the jail and the sheriff's like, if there's any trouble, I'm going to integrate this jail. As you're passing the two cells with like all the black inmates, just like sitting there, like so fucking wanting to get their hands on these two guys. But as they're walking up the stairs, you just get this close up of Samuel L. Jackson's eyes. And then he pops out and just fucking wastes them. Yeah. I like the, the, how it kind of set up, like he snuck into city hall or wherever that is the night before and just laid there in wait, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't really for like, um, it, it doesn't support the insanity plea that they're going for very well that, you know, he's there for 12 hours. Because you can do a lot of contemplating in 12 hours, you know? Well, as the expert for Samuel Jackson said, you can still be calculating and insane. Um, this is good that you're a lawyer because I have a lot of legal questions about the ramifications of what happens in this movie. Well, I can confidently answer them even if I happen to be wrong. So that's great. Um, but what is interesting is that he's able to get away and get home. And, I, and this is the first time I've ever had this thought, but it's like, if he wears just like a mask and like a shirt and just keeps the gun with him, like, would he have gotten caught? I mean, everyone's going to know it was him. But if he'd like, like the fact that he was able to shoot these guys in the, uh, in the court, in the courthouse, I think that's where it was the courthouse. You said city hall earlier, but the fact that he's able to shoot them in the courthouse and get all the way home is like, maybe he, you know, if he had just disguised himself, he could have gotten away with it. Yeah. But then I think that would have even like lesser the insanity plea. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I do like the way that they, 
when the cops, like even the cops know this guy is not dangerous. He did the, you know, like he did this one thing. And so when they come to his house, they just let him walk to the police car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We did skip over um, right before this when Oliver Platt's at Matthew McConaughey's office and they bring up Lucian, the old owner of the, of the law firm. And the secretary is like, oh, how is he? And they start asking her questions. She's like, I'm a good Southern woman. I've been married. I had no boyfriends. And Oliver Platt's just like, oh, she did him a lot. <laughs> um, when, when you take like that kind of different characters in a movie, um, you have a lot of those like little moments that when we talk, usually we skip over it. Um, but everything out of Oliver Platt's character's mouth is like gold. It is. Yeah, it is like, it's my favorite part I think he's ever done. It's so, it's so great. It's just, he's playing like a, he's playing a smarmy lawyer, but he's also a good guy. So it's just really like a great, role for him when 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 you told me that we're doing this episode you told me that this movie is the movie that made you want to become a lawyer so i have two questions for you one it wasn't because of matthew mcconaughey it was definitely because of oliver you wanted to become a lawyer like oliver platt right i don't know kevin spacey Oh, 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 I see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. uh, Attorney um, General. And then, wait, wait, a follow-up question is, why then did you not become a criminal defense lawyer? It's just too much on the line. This isn't about me, so let's get back to it. <laughs> uh, so Matthew McConaughey visits Samuel Jackson. He's basically, like, going to become his lawyer. And, uh, and then we already talked about the scene with the DA. The one thing is him like sending alcohol to Donald Sutherland's character just to keep him drunk. Oh, is that, uh, I thought he was saying, sending alcohol to the judge as a bribe. No, what he did with the judge was he called a bunch of legislator, legislative friends to contact the judge and just be like, hey, do your job, which is like, also oh, you can't really do that. Yeah, there's a lot of, illegal things that kevin spacey's character does um next we meet Kiefer sutherland um and it's at the burial of his brother and one thing i noticed is there's just so much dirt on the grave it was like five feet high of dirt <laughs> but i guess maybe it was off of the grave and they needed to put that back on but it looked like it was on top of it and i was just like so confused but now that i'm thinking about it i probably just saw it wrong I think you did. I also laughed at the the burial scene of the two rednecks because there was literally five people there. The mom, like, brother, and then like the other racist guys. Yeah, yeah. And like no one gave a shit about these fuckers. Well, also though, like, you know, you probably don't wanna be seen giving a shit about them. Maybe if they hadn't died, you know, if they hadn't have raped a 10 year old girl prior to their deaths maybe like more people would have come mm. but they seem like pieces of shit in the beginning anyway so maybe no one liked them um <laughs> like the one guy's like the so the guy with the mickey mouse tattoo who we find out later is good we never get his full backstory i assume almost that he's like an undercover cop or something but i don't know i thought it was the cop for the longest time i thought mickey mouse was the cop 
In the book, apparently that guy's not a bad guy. He is just a cop. But um, the Mickey Mouse guy is like, oh, what do you mean? Like those skinheads the, that are going to blow up the government? And the guy's like, no, good clan people. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't understand that whole like train of thought where they're like, you know, when, when they're marching in the street wearing their KKK hoods and stuff like that, and they're like, we're going to take our city back from these animals. And, and, you know, all they do is rape and murder our, our women and children. I was like, are you, dude, you, you guys literally, this is why you're here is because one of y'all raped and murdered a child. You know, it's funny too, is that it only probably hurt his chances of be, of, of Carly being convicted. Like their their presence there didn't help. No, but I was actually glad to see them there because I had the same thought. I was like, this is only going to secure everyone's thought about um, what's actually right and wrong here. What's actually right and wrong. When Jake gets a call at his, you know, they're watching the uh, his first like press conference talking about the case, and they immediately get a call. That's Kiefer Sutherland's voice, right? Like, I was pretty confident that, like, the guy that said, like, he's going to burn and we're going to kill you. Yeah, I, I don't know. They they honestly all sound the same to me. Wow. Um, and then we finally get to the trial. And I love the smarmy way that Kevin Spacey's character comes up and he's like, I will give him life for one day. Like, a one day only deal of, like, I will not go for the death penalty if you plead right now. Um and then he and he's like, well, if you let him walk right now, I won't embarrass you. <laughs> like, just the back and forth is good. It's it's very brave for Matthew McConaughey to take that stance because here's my first question as a a law person: um, if was the smartest thing to do was to plead not guilty because people. That he pled he pled not guilty to the murder of those two guys. Um, but people saw him do it with their very own eyes. So wouldn't there have been a better, I don't know, better somewhere in the middle that he could have done it where he did it, but it would have been more manslaughter? Yeah, well, I mean the judge tells him, you know, if you plea, I'll get him 20 years. We can go. It was either second degree or it was manslaughter or something like that. And he's like, he'll serve 20 years. Um, and that is like the middle you're talking about. And that may have been something that would have been offered given the circumstances, although maybe less in, in like uh, what is portrayed as a very racist place. Um, I don't know Canton, Mississippi that well myself, but you can assume. And um so yeah, the the thing is though, yes, they saw him do it, but if you can prove insanity, insanity similar to self-defense is like it's a complete defense to the crime. So if you were in, you can't be convicted of a crime if you were insane at the time you did it. Okay. Now it's just very hard to convince a jury that someone was insane. Um when you especially you know, you have like them the expert for the DA who's never found someone insane, right? So when you have you have these state witnesses that will testify that way. Um, and also people just generally believe like prosecutors. 
<laughs> right? Because they're like, why would they? Why would they prosecute someone who's innocent? They're like people fucking foolishly believe that all the time. It's just crazy. Um, so yeah, I mean, the safer thing would have been able to would have been to take a plea, because I mean, he knows he's not insane, right? In this movie, everyone even probably the jurors at the end know that he actually wasn't insane. What it is is the insanity defense gives you the pretense to say, I approve of what he did and I'm allowing him to go on. Wouldn't this be more of a crime of passion? Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're arguing, which would still be, it wouldn't be first degree. I don't know. The thing is if he's not insane, right then you have premeditated murder because he sat there for 12 hours. Yeah, Um, exactly. So then the the crime of passion argument, generally, when you you have the time to think, premeditated, yeah, when you have the time to think about it and you had the time to cool down, um, it's it's a harder harder road to go down. I also really like the back and forth uh, between the DA and, and Matthew McConaughey too, when he's like, when he calls him governor Buckley <laughs> and he's like, Oh, he knows I'm not governor yet. Uh, I think is really great. Um, when he does it he, in front of like the news people. He does it in front of the judge. It's during the, it's when the plea is put in. Uh, oh, and the, and the people in the, they laugh like a joke. Um, yes. So, I understand that this is like, you know, this is a two hour movie or two and a half hour movie, I believe. And um, you have to get character development done pretty quick in a, in a film, unlike TV where you can like span that across multiple seasons. I feel like they made Matthew McConaughey's character wrapped up in the media very quickly and him becoming like kind of a jerk in that way um towards his family especially kind of very sudden um which kind of prompts his they say there's this like tear in the marriage but i didn't really see it until after his wife um played by ashley judd um left like they they moved her and the daughter out of town yeah i just didn't agree that he was wrapped up in the media and i didn't you know if if you were convinced that matthew mcconaughey should have dropped this case because it became too dangerous or if you're convinced that he got into it for the wrong reasons and he's using it for publicity which is counterbalanced by the fact that he's not doing anything on any of his other cases right as his secretary says you're completely obsessed with this one case and it's ruining us um, but if you think he should have dropped this case, then you think no one should have taken it, right? Like, no, I don't think like, he should have. I don't think he should have dropped the case. I'm not but... saying you. I'm saying oh. the audience. Any okay. audience person that would think that. So it's just like I don't think I don't think that's what it's trying to do. I think it's trying to show the toll it takes on his family, and the the personal kind of sacrifice he had to do to continue. Um, but I don't think I don't think it's ever trying to show that he's. I mean, he does a couple interviews, but as he says, that would be good for Carly. I think especially because it was, I can't remember if it was before or after jury selection when, when the second one happened, but 
you know, you're affecting the potential jurors. And so you're getting to talk to them directly in a way that you shouldn't be able to in court. So there's a, there's a point of no return with this character with Matthew McConaughey, where I think when the first attack happened on his family, I believe it was the burning cross in the front yard. Right. Right. Um, at that point he got his, um, no, at, at the, uh, when they planted a bomb, he, that's after that. After the fact, he got his daughter and his wife out of there. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Well, do you do you think he should have dropped the case for the safety of him and his family, or and well, all of the, his associates? I just made the point. I just made the point, though. If he has to drop it, then everyone has to drop it. Who would do the case? <sighs> yeah, I. You're right. Yeah. It's someone like you could give someone, it to a public defender or or someone who I mean you could have given it you could have given it to those guys from Memphis, right? Who wanted to take with the NAACP. Yeah. But he thinks that he'll do the best job on it. So I didn't quite understand the NAACP's advantage of, of still getting him a lawyer that was also white. I thought the whole point was to get him an a black lawyer too. They wanted him to have an experienced lawyer. And one of the lawyers on the team was black. Uh, that's yeah. Okay. Um, n- we first now get Sandra Bullock's character who actually talks and she gives her whole spiel about working on all these death penalty cases, seeing executions, writing briefs, da, 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 da. And I was just like, this is the most accomplished law student I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, like, and the only way she could get all that experience is I guess she got like a good couple internships or the connections from her dad, or she finds these cases with lawyers who are way over their way in over their heads, like Matthew McConaughey's. And it's just like, I'll work for free. And they're like, absolutely. I'll like free work is great. But then later on, she says like, Oh, they were paper clients. I never met them in person. So yeah, it's like very interesting how she got all of this crazy good experience as someone in law school. Um, I also like the the character she plays, who's not quite um, grounded in in morality, like her little espionage uh, things. That you know, she's like um, going to the psychologist and faking uh, and lying about why she's there, getting the correct room number, and going outside the building, breaking into the window, doing that kind of shit. But it's almost like you need that or, you know, the the team needs that kind of character because of how in the pocket that Kevin Spacey has everyone, you know. It's just the odds are stacked against them. And I like, uh, she's like, I'm trying to think how Jake would think or how Lucian would think. And he's like, uh, Oliver Platt's like, now you need to think how Harry Rex would think. And that's when she does that. Um, uh, next, we get to see the clan meeting, and the red dragon is, or the grand dragon of Mississippi, it should be a red dragon, is Red Foreman. Yeah. <laughs> whose son also commits suicide in that uh, that movie you made me watch. In uh, Dead Poet Society? Correct. It's funny how he's such a, such a comedic character in that 70s show, and yet he's been in movies where he's just the worst yeah this is slightly worse than 
dead poet society but almost only slightly um it's that's like also besides the beginning scene like a very hard scene to watch just a fucking clan meeting um the best clan meeting scene i've ever seen in a movie is the um Django Unchained where Jonah Hill is like oh my mom brought all the the pillowcases oh it wasn't Jonah Hill's mom that brought them but it was some yeah I guess oh, it was yeah. a funny scene yeah we agree that the pillowcases were a good idea but maybe let's just use them next time <laughs> um yeah I I agree it was it was a hard scene because after that we get the march in the street and they're all well, before that well, no, before that, Kiefer goes to his friends and there's a fucking written clan application. <laughs> I mean, that, that, had, that had to have been added for slight comedic purposes. There's like a fucking... I don't know. But then that's the first time you see the cop there. And before that, I don't think there's any indication that he's bad, but then it's like right there. It's like, oh, okay. So this is this character. And it's like this, um, it was a dramatic irony where we know something that the rest of the audience doesn't. And we're just like, Oh, you got to fucking catch this guy. Um, so there's a, so there's a scene after he gives the application to his, his buddies where they sneak uh, Samuel Jackson out to apologize to officer Looney uh, yeah, in the hospital. Um, but didn't the cop who was doubling as a KKK member help in that transport yeah yeah did you have that's, a further point well that's why i thought the cop was mickey mouse i thought he was playing two sides because if he was if he knowingly knew that samuel L. jackson's character was going to be vulnerable out in the open why didn't he tell his buddies like hey this is the perfect time to strike because he also did like you know he doesn't want to lose his job, go to jail, things like that. Mm. Like, how would they know to strike then? I guess. There's only one way. Um, and also, it's like, why does he care that this guy goes to see Looney? It's also a good scene, too, but it's like sort of like Looney doesn't say anything to him. And obviously, he's probably mad because he just fucking lost his leg. But as you find out, Looney is like not that mad at him and he understands. Um the next thing we get, we, we got where her parents came into town and they're like, oh, I guess we'll read about it in the papers because he goes to talk to the, to the reporters. But once again, I don't really think that's like, I don't think that part's necessary. And I don't really think it portrays anything more than uh, what it actually shows. Um, the NAACP guys come down and they're like, Carly is only on trial because he's black. And I was like, ah, I slightly disagree. I think a lot of people would probably go on trial for this. Um, and like I said earlier, I think like a little bit, you could say the way it portrays the NAACP is not the greatest, but then they gave the movie an award. So it's like, they're, they're okay with it. The next, the next thing we got is the anonymous phone call from Mickey Mouse where he tells them to get out of the house and then they see the, the burning cross. And it's like, how did, you know, the, the front door is like wide open. Like, how would you not notice this burning cross or like five dudes, this thing's fucking heavy. Like five dudes sneaking onto your lawn to like put it there. Also, Mickey Mouse called at like the worst time, like five seconds before this was all going to go down. Like, I don't know. I mean, he has to make sure he doesn't get caught. So he had to get far away from these guys. Huh? -huh, There's a burning cross in your yard. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Um, 
so yeah, we already talked about the NAACP meeting, so we don't really need to go over that again. And then we see the judge and the DA palling around, or Jake sees this, right? Yeah, and he just kind of like, like laughs it off. He's like, well, fuck, we just got to deal with it. Um, and then Sandra Bullock shows up again, and she's like, basically tells them, oh, this all hinges on the, uh, the expert. And uh, he still won't hire her at this point. Um, and Harry, I love Harry Rex's line. He's like, gotta love the Lord for making things like that. <laughs> uh, especially in the beginning. What a cool car she drives up in, too. Uh, yeah, I think, I think Jake's car is pretty cool, too. There's a lot of cool cars in this. Um, and then Jake's house, they try and blow it up. I, there's, I, I, there's a couple things I want to talk about this. Um, first of all, he's just like, perfect timing on the throw right he's like he pulls the bomb apart which apparently then sets it off and triggers it or maybe it was going to go off anyway i don't know and then holds it for a couple seconds does a kind of a long wind up and then throws it and it blows up oh so that's that's what i was confused is it was it a grenade attached to a timer because he threw it like a grenade but it looked a tad bit bigger it was attached to a timer so it would go off at a certain time but was it a grenade or was it like a block of C4? Dynamite. It was dynamite. Okay. Yeah, why does that matter? Because he, he threw it like a fucking baseball. Um, then also just like perfect form on what kind of looked like a punch, but it was actually an elbow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Very good elbow to the face. Knocks the guy right out. And then his kids have to leave the state. Um. And then after this, we get the meeting with the judge at the judge's house. And apparently the judge is a painter. It looks like watercolor, possibly. Yeah, this was weird because it's like, I don't know. Do, did you feel like they try to give this, this character like more of a background than what he kind of deserved? He's like, what, the, a sensitive? He has a sensitive side? No, I don't know. I just think they had to have him doing something. Um, it was interesting too. He's like, yeah, I agree. He can't get a fair trial, but he can't get a fair trial anywhere. So we're just going to do it here. (laughs) Um, it's, it's also kind of funny. We did this movie because it does kind of seem out of like left field for us to do behind enemy lines. And then this film, but you have to consider the fact that behind enemy lines is, a, you know, a man against all odds. Um, but so is this one because everything stacks up against uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Matthew McConaughey, like literally everything. And I think in a more harsher reality base, this film could be in, we would have not gotten the ending that we got um, because the ending, as much as they describe it, like a hail Mary was like, nothing was looking good for them up till the very end of the summations. Bro, we get a long time before we get to the ending. And also we did the outsiders in between those two. And so I don't know how many, how much of the odds were stacked against pony boy. Uh, pony boy and Johnny against the whole town. I don't know, man. Against that whole big town. Imagine if they're out in the country, things would have been easier. Um, <laughs> I do like, so then uh, after that, we got the scene where um, 
Lucian and Matthew McConaughey get drunk because they found their like their expert witness who is also a drunk. And the next morning, Sandra Bullock comes over and she's like, nice parking job late night. And he sees it and Matthew McConaughey just starts fucking laughing like because he like parked on the sidewalk, hit a pole. <laughs> right. Um, and then the scene where they're at the diner talking about the death penalty. And this is like an interesting scene. I'm not really sure. I get the point of like kind of showing their character and their different beliefs, but like going so in depth on their like, I'm against the death penalty and I'm for the death penalty thing. I thought it was like an interesting move. And Sandra, Sandra Bullock is very, very uh, spirited in her debate with him and very like passionate. And she sort of uh, loses it. Um, and so he comes out and finds her and he's just like, all right, well now I'll hire you. And he's like, you know, cause you're passionate and you're, you're free. Yeah. Two um, good reasons why also you know, it's funny though. He, cause she's he, hot. I don't think that's why he hired her. It wasn't like there was an ugly person that came up and asked to work on it. He's like, nah. Um, but then he brings up the fact he's like, I don't want pictures of the rapists and I do want details of the rape in. Um, which never really comes up. One thing this movie is not clear about is whether the details of the rape, it feels like the judge in the beginning is like, oh, those boys aren't on trial. But then the details of the rape come in later. The details of the rape by the way, if you before you ask, would obviously come in in this case. There's no way the judge could keep it out. Okay. My other question was, he did seem very against it. Um, so did Spacey. You know, every time it was mentioned or... or uh... Well, he mostly... They mostly uh, objected in the beginning when he was asking it to the mother of one of the victims. And I think there are other ways you could object to that where, and there are other reasons the judge would be like, dude, back the fuck off. Um, like there's no need to ask her those questions. Cause the, what he was asking, what he was asking, he wasn't asking for any, he wasn't asking to get an answer from her. He was just asking to say it in front of the jury, like how many, how many girls has your son raped? But it's really like, the fact that he did it to the mom, even though these guys are monsters, you know, she's not a monster as far as they know, um, I think might rub the jury the wrong way. I don't know. Um, yeah. they, although you think a lot, of, a lot of people were probably like, I couldn't raise something like that. So she probably did thing, bad things that, that caused her sons to be that way. So who knows? I actually like the question that he asked her. Puts her, puts her on a spot. Maybe she's not as as innocent um here here's a law question for you if for example the judge did want to keep the rape out of the um the court the case he goes into full detail on it during the summations can you say anything you want in your closing argument at the end of a at the end of a trial? No. 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 There, what, are, there are, what are the restrictions on that? Uh, well, if you're going to talk about facts, you have to talk about facts that were brought out during trial. Um, 
And if something has been made off limits during the trial, then you can't also say it during the closing. So, but the thing is they talk about the rape several times throughout the trial in ways that aren't objected to Carl Lee Haley uh, testifies to the rape. Um, the sheriff does too. And they get a little pushback on that. Um, but the, the rape, the rape's allowed to come in. So, I mean, one reason that one, this is getting really in depth to the practice of law and it's very unnecessary. But one thing is when, uh, when a witness is called, right, the prosecution calls a witness and they talk to that witness about certain things, right? Yep. Um, when you cross that witness, you can only talk to them about the things they've already talked about. So if that witness never brought up the rape, you can't ask them about it. Now you can, hold on, you can then call that witness during your case. And then sometimes you can tell the judge like, hey, well, I'm going to call them anyway. Can I just cross them on it now? And if the other side doesn't really object, then why would they? Then you can just let it happen. But really, you're not supposed to be asking them questions that they weren't asked about. I mean, and with with the way this movie show, you know, like each witness is asked like three questions and then we move on, which is not how it would actually happen. Um, but so that is like one way it could have been objected to. But once again, the, the movie is not very clear on keeping out the rape stuff. And you couldn't because it goes to like what made Carl Lee Haley go insane. If you're just like, oh, he was insane. Why was he insane? Well, oh, we can't talk about that. Like you have to let it in because it goes to like his state of mind. Yeah, but yeah, I, I see. And and what you said about the witnesses in in a real trial, some witnesses stay on the stand for days. I mean, obviously there's recesses, but they'll come back, you know, for days. Right. With uh examining, cross examining. Well, I mean, as like an example, that. once again, this is a movie, so you have to do it this way, but the, the DA asked Carly Haley, the defendant, like three questions and then right. was done. That would never happen. Right. Uh, so at this point, I believe we get a couple of uh, spicy scenes with Sandra Bullock and Matthew McConaughey. No. No, now we're at the jury selection. <laughs> <laughs> really? I thought we got to the... Okay, I guess you're right. I guess you're... Well, because this is when the clan actually shows up. Um, and this is when we see that the DA is the DA is talking to the media and he's like, no one gets a list of the jurors as his like second in command and the law clerk are behind him holding the list, right? Yeah. So they, you know, get that unfair advantage. And that's like if you're like on the fence of whether like the judge is a bad guy or whatever, like that's clear evidence of like them trying to convict this guy um and then when the yeah when the jury show when the clan shows up during jury selection this is how i'm like how do you like how do you think this is gonna help you know what i mean like it's not no it's not helping and they you know they do they go through the jury selection there's a few black jurors and of course kevin spacey gets rid of all of them um and not that you've asked but uh, uh, I was about have... to. What were you going to ask? I was going to ask, is that legal for him to just get rid of all the black jurors? No. You, you, if you do it, you have to have a non-race-related reason for doing it, and I don't know what his explanation could possibly be. 
Well, the thing but, also is, is that now in just, so that's, that's now like the law is kind of developed on that before you could, you, you have for cause challenges, which are, this is a specific reason that this juror should be, should not be on the jury. And then you have what are called preemptory, which each side just gets a certain amount. And um, even in your preemptory though, you can't just get rid of all jurors of a race, religion, whatever. Um, you have to, you have to have a non race related reason, but that has like the rules on that have become more strict over time. So in 95, you know, they may, Jake Brigance may have just been like, oh, there's no point of even fucking trying, especially with this judge. Right. So. Okay. Well, I mean, if what Kevin Spacey was saying was true about that County being what 30% black people. Uh huh. Shouldn't, the jury contain 30% black people be a true representation of their environment. That's not how it works. Oh, okay. Uh, one of my law professors said that uh, when you have a jury, it's 12 people that were too stupid to get out of jury duty. <laughs> yeah. It's incredibly easy to get out of jury duty. Yeah, it is. Um, and now we get some pretty good action. Uh, the Clarence starts a fight, and you see a couple of like the uh, the I don't know, the black youths, I guess, kind of point out that they have a plan. And one of them goes on the roof with a Molotov cocktail, I believe. A Molotov and, cocktail, yeah. And then they get the uh, the Red Foreman Grand Dragon off by himself, and then that's. <sighs> Not that I have any pity for him, but that's got to be a fucking horrible way to die. First of all, like burning alive and nothing you can nothing you can do to put it out. First of all, what a shot! Okay, like I'm not saying he wasn't like a, a st- you know a sticking out of the crowd. You judge you got but you got to judge for the wind. You're at a height. It's not a throw he's ever made before. Like clutch. Yeah, a hundred percent. Second of all, it really disheartened me to see him go because you know the way the movie is going, who's going to take his place. And and you know that like the motivation Kiefer Sutherland's character has to now be like the head guy is gonna be is way worse than any other like position he could be in. That scene where he's like stumps dead. And then uh, the Mickey Mouse guy is like, we should all go home. Kiefer Sutherland's like, clan's going nowhere. We got work to do. Very good. Thank you. Good job. Um, And the sheriff is getting the shit kicked out of him, and the racist cop doesn't help. And so uh, Jake comes in and then gets stabbed in the leg by one of the clan's people. Yes. Uh, We don't know which one. Uh, and, uh, I know which one Sandra Bullock seeing his ass. And this is where it starts. This is the the part that I do not understand why they had to do a sexual tension between these two characters. He he seemed happily kind of showing... married. What? Why would you? Why would you? You paused, and then I started talking. And you're like, oh, let me say something else. So just say your last thing, so we can cut it better. Oh, good. Oh, my last thing. 
so, so he seemed happily married. Oh, he he seemed happily married. He did, didn't he? I think what they're doing here is just kind of showing all like they're just piling on, right? How difficult this is. This is like a white hero savior movie. So I'm telling you, yeah. Um, but they're just. Yeah, they're just piling on, putting the the ch- stacking the chips more and more against Matthew McConaughey for him to just overcome these odds and save Samuel Jackson. Um, yeah, maybe this movie is controversial, but I, I I think it's just to add more, a little more to it. Um, and when you have these two, this is like, this is the hottest cinch books ever looked to me. By the way, agreed. Um, so so when you have these two good looking people working under stressful conditions his wife's out of town like you know and they never cross the line though they never cross the line <sighs> emotionally they do but i physically no um emotionally I, they do oh okay uh okay david um hear hear me out the the other thing is is that every time matthew mcconaughey is on is sharing a screen with either ashley judd's wife or his what do you call it? Clerk assistant? Doesn't matter. Okay. Sandra Bullock. Why are they always perpetually oiled up and sweaty? I mean, it's Mississippi, presumably like in the summer, just fucking hot. But I mean, they are really oiled up, especially Ashley Judd. Not that I'm complaining, but it's still kind of odd. It is funny we did a Diane Lane movie and then an Ashley Judd movie because I get them confused so much. Not anymore, mostly. There's a huge age difference. Between Ashley Judd and Diane Lane? I'm pretty sure, yeah. As I'm researching this, did you know that this is the first movie Octavia Spencer ever was in? I, uh, I didn't know it was the first movie, but I knew it was one of the first movies. How big do you think the age difference is between Diane Lane and Ashley Judd? And... Which one of them is older? Oh, don't do this to me, David. I I have I have to say Diane Lane is older by at least ten years. Diane Lane is older. Uh huh. By three years. Three years. Yes. Yes. I mean, both are beautiful women, so I'm not. But... Which one was in Double Jeopardy? <laughs> the movie. Yeah. Ashley Judd. Very good. That's good. I get them confused. We're going to get back to the movie now. So this is when he says that they need to discredit him being Matthew McConaughey, Jake Bergantz. They need to discredit the other expert. And he puts Sandra Bullock in charge of that. Um, And they go out and get drunk. And because they do emotionally cheat, as you so said, Matthew McConaughey's punishment for that is his house burns down. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the di- the night before trial, right? Which also, why are you going out and getting drunk the night before trial? Probably should prepare. I uh, guess it's not your life on the line. Um, I do like the next day, Harry comes over. He's trying to get him to leave the case. He's like, I bought you a ticket, which just goes to show you the, the fuck you money that Harry Rex can throw around. He's just like, I'll just buy a plane ticket to get out of here, whatever. Uh, um, I really love that the dog lives. And yeah. then it's like the motivation he needs to go on. It's just like this, if his dog died, it's just the last fucking straw. You and can't then, kill like, a man's dog. How upbeat he is when he finds that dog. And he's like two hours, Harry Rex, we're going over pre-trial strategy. Get your ass in gear. 
It was great. It was a great moment. I, I don't think I ever believed that the dog was dead. Not even for a second. I knew at like some point in this conversation between him and, and Oliver Platt, you're going to hear barking in the distance. One of my favorite parts of this movie, it is such a fucking tiny part, but outside the courthouse, there is a black couple selling free Carly shirts and fry Carly shirts. And let me just tell you, get that money. <laughs> I love, like, it reminded me, I saw like a, a, like a, a, like a black family, I think, outside of like a Republican convention selling like Donald Trump stuff, but very clearly not fans of Donald Trump, just making money. And I was like, that's capitalism in America, baby. That's like at its finest. I mean, why not? Why not? You're just, you're just making money. You're giving the people what they want. Yeah. Fly hoodies. Although, can um, I ask you a serious question? If, if in the movie it was a black family selling fry Carly shirts, um, would any of the racists actually buy it from them? I mean, if they're of good quality and reasonably priced, I don't see why not. Okay, okay. I do want a free Carly shirt after seeing that. Because uh, that'd be like such a thing, like if you're out in public, someone would see and just be like, time to kill. Like, yeah, it is. Um, so now we're finally to the trial, which I think we are very far into this movie once we actually get to the trial. Like, there's so much set up to that point. But this is, like, at the end of the day, a, like, a legal drama, like a trial movie. You, you say that, which, and you told me this in the beginning while we were doing this, too. And I was like, okay, so the beginning and the setup and the shoots the guy, okay, so now it's going to... So much stuff happens outside of that trial room up till this point, as we talked about the burning of the cross, the bomb, the burning down of the house, the, you know, attack on the secretary and her husband and everything like that. Once we get to the trial, it's literally like the last 30 minutes of the film. That's more than 30 minutes. It's like probably the last hour if not like maybe 50 to 45 because the last 30 minutes are I think right when Carly is testifying but we already talked about Billy Ray's mom and uh Jake's like Jake's question and uh I like when Sandra Bullock's like and Oliver Platt about himself and she's like why would you do that you know the judge is gonna get mad at him he's like oh he's just drawing for his blood but I love when the DA walks by and she, he like has a smart ass comment and she's like how's that impotence thing Rufus and Eric's like impotent. She's like, girls talk. Oh my god. Yeah, that was so great. So so great. Um okay. So we're doing the trial. We're getting we're getting through that. And then um we have a moment, I think, where all the jurors are in like a Chinese restaurant. I don't know. I don't remember what kind of restaurant it was. But yeah, okay. they're uh that's actually that is right after the sheriff test testifies, but before Looney testifies. Um, and the sheriff's testimony is not really that important. He just reiterates that, uh, you know, that there was a rape and the judge sort of gets mad about it. But then from that point on in the trial, they can talk about the rape as much as they want. Yeah. Again, like you said, there's no reason why they shouldn't. Um, also, we talked about Looney's um, testimony about, well, we didn't really get into it. So basically, he loses a leg because he, uh, one of the bullets ricochets into his leg. And 
he identifies Carly as the shooter, which is surprising to me because I did not think that's how it would go down. But then there's this whole thing. Well, he doesn't identify him, right? He says, I didn't see who did it, but Carly came and apologized, which oh, is just as bad. The worst because, you know, if you apologized, like, were you an insane person? But this is one of the best parts of the movie is Carly telling Matthew McConaughey, Samuel Jackson saying, ask him if he thinks I should go to jail. And he's like, you fucking shot his leg off. Like, of course he thinks you should go to jail. He's like, ask him. And so Matthew <laughs> right. McConaughey goes up there, asks a question, but it's not the right question. Then finally asks him. And uh, I, I love to, uh, Kevin Spacey objects and Matthew McConaughey's response, I think he's earned the right to testify. And like, you know, that just like, Kevin Spacey's face is like, oh, fuck, that was good. Like, clearly <laughs> the judge is not going to let him do it. Um, but I just love, he's a hero. Turn him loose. You turn him loose. Uh, yeah, I mean, that scene is built on being a surprise to think how, like, you you don't know which way he's going to sway. You think you know, you know which way he's going to sway, and then he doubles back at the end. So it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Um, that is when I started to actually have hope for our character. I was like, hey, maybe he think, can win this. I think that was the intention of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I did a good job. Um, so now we get the jury kind of getting together. And one thing I found interesting is there's just like, uh, in the beginning when they were doing their jury picks, I think Sandra Bullock and Matthew McConaughey came up to the conclusion. It's like, we don't want any women and we don't want, um, oh, it was really women, right? Or no, young, young people and women, right? Well, and, they, wanted, they want young fathers. And I think they, they want young fathers that could do, that would want to do what Carly did. So they're like, no old men. And then I forget what the other one was. Oh yeah. No old men and no women. I don't think it was no women, but it, it was disagree move on i don't know how you can disagree on a fact but that's okay um the end result of that is mainly all women and old men mm -hmm. um so when they do the you know trial um i don't i don't know what that's called what's it called when the jury talks among each other Amongst each other? Deliberations. Deliberation. One of the first deliberations. All They're not really supposed to be doing it then, though. It's not really deliberation. It's just them talking. Right. Well, you know what I mean. Um, just one guy says not guilty, which is not a positive spin on the situation. And I guess it also implied that the other, like, lead witness or lead juror of the of the uh, deliberation is very racist was it when he said the n-word and said that n-word's gonna fry is that what made you think he was very racist it tipped me off yes that was the first clue well th so that actual that uh that first thing at the restaurant where they go over their vote that was before looney right purposefully because there was like what seven guilty four undecided and then one not guilty and then after the loony thing you're like oh that's really 
great. And then we get the expert witnesses. Um, and of course the DA's expert witness is the shrink from uh, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, yeah. And that guy plays a perfectly good tight ass asshole. Yeah. I love not to praise Kevin Spacey too much, but I love when he's like, they, they want you to think he's a nutball, a slow coach. What's the, what's the term? Clinically insane. <laughs> that was a great line reading. Um, Kevin Spacey is like, Kevin Spacey's clearly got the losing part here, but he's like, I'm going to fucking put it all out there, though. I'm going to let you guys know that I, sh- I could do this. Uh, what's funny is, uh, I would, okay, I tell, it's not necessarily funny, but one of my favorite parts in this movie is Matthew McConaughey cross-examining that shrink and for the longest time when he's building up to whatever Sandra Bullock put on the table, um, I was trying to wrap my mind. I'm like, where is he going with this? Like, what is the trap? You know, it's a trap, but it's like, where, what is the trap? And when it's revealed that he's the head psychologist of the insane asylum, where they kept a guy for like, what, years, right? um uh 10 one years of the, they said yeah 10 years with uh a guy that he's testified a guy that he testified was saying yeah crazy i mean that r- ruined it right there for him that was yep that was also the point yes i do love when the judge uh sandra bullock comes up and she got this information to him like last minute and the, <laughs> the judge is like when you and lois lane are ready we can start yeah it uh it made me think wow Sandra Bullock would have made a great Lois Lane. Lost opportunity for us all. Um, Really is. So after this, everyone's on a high, and they walk out of the courthouse, and Kiefer Sutherland takes a sniper shot at Matthew McConaughey and misses by, like, two feet and hits a fucking National Guard soldier in the neck. Which, I mean... I don't know the legality of shooting a national guard soldier in the neck, but there was that whole town is basically protected by national guard. They, they moved the national guard in that entire town. Wouldn't someone be on that rooftop in a matter of seconds, like before Kiefer Sutherland could even get down the first flight of stairs, they would have that building surrounded. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Yeah. I, I like it's the one, it's one trial in a really small town, so I I don't know how many people they sent. It seems like it's the same rooftop where that dude threw the bottle, though. So it's like maybe, but <laughs> maybe we should keep an eye on that place from now on. I like the contemplation that Matthew McConaughey has. That's like, wow, that guy risked his life for me, a guy he doesn't even know. On one hand, that's noble, and I understand that. On the other hand, I'm like. It's his job. He's just doing his job, you know? He understood the, the risks. Doesn't make it any less noble because he understood he was doing something dangerous and then did something dangerous. Mm, I'm not saying it makes it less noble, but... Um, you can't praise it because someone does a very dangerous job? No, I'm not saying that. I just... I, 
I find it strange how much, how many po- political issues this movie tries to take on. Yeah, I don't know that that was an, an issue they were trying to take on. But I mean, you could say the same thing about him, right? He's like, uh, kind of taken on this burden for Carly, even though he doesn't really have to. He needs that nine hundred dollars. So, um, so next, Sandra Bullock gets kidnapped, and uh, it's by the cop, and all the clan are there. Kiefer comes up, and I, I love like her defiance of Carly should have shot you too. And then it's just like a very bad, like he hits her head against the, it would not have like knocked out a normal person, but you like have to be gentle with Sandra Bullock. But before this, <laughs> yeah, before this, it's another heat, uh, steamy scene with Matthew McConaughey and Sandra Bullock and Matthew McConaughey is like, you, you should go because I want you to stay or some, some, some variation of that line. Um, I felt bad for Matthew McConaughey because I was like, oh man, if he finds out that because he asked her to go, this is the result of that happening. Like that sucks, you know? Listen, Ashley Judd, had I not had sex with Sandra Bullock, she could have died. So what I did (laughs) with my penis was save a young woman's life. And for that, I think you should reward me. Yeah. And I'm sure that's how it would go down. And she would give accolades. That's um, how it would go down. Was that, was that on purpose? <laughs> no. Um, when you saw those Klansmen with the torches and they like tie her to the, to the stick, I thought, I was like, oh, fuck. They're going to burn her alive. Like, this movie started with what it started with, and now you're going to kill Sandra Bullock? Like, and also, they didn't, obviously, right? Mickey Mouse came in and and saved her and got her to the hospital. But why wouldn't they? They already tried beating up the old man, blowing up his house, burning down the house. Um, why, Why wouldn't they... I'm glad they like again. I'm glad they didn't. But why wouldn't they rape and kill Sandra Bullock, just for movie purposes? Movie purposes. It's some James Bond shit. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shoot you in the head. I'm just gonna let the slow moving laser take you out. And well, especially nothing, it, <laughs> nothing will stop this. Especially when Kiefer Sutherland like reveals his face to her. I'm like, dude, if she lives, she, you're done. You're toast. Yeah, but as we, these guys are idiots, so, you know, it's not surprising. Yeah. Um, so now the defense calls their, their expert. He does a very good job until you find out that he's been convicted of statutory rape. And so, you know, nothing he said actually matters anymore because he's a criminal. And it's, you know, afterwards they explain Lucian's like, I didn't even know because it's been expunged. It's like, so it makes sense that he wouldn't have told Jake, but at the same time, Jake could have possibly saved it had he known ahead of time. Because really, they didn't have a choice but to use this guy. But, you know, as, so Jake says in his closing, and this is the thing about, like, 
talking about facts that weren't presented in trial. I think the movie does a really smart job if you kind of like know legal bullshit, but you're not really supposed to say things that weren't proven, right? Or weren't, not proven, but weren't at least like stated at trial. So when he's like, well, what if I told you that, you know, the woman he statutorily raped was 17 and he was 23 and they're married, they married and they're still married to this day. Does that change anything? And I think like, that's probably the truth of what happened, but he can't really say that. But he's, so he does it in this like, well, what if I told you, does that make it better? So I think it's a good way of him getting it in, in a less objectionable way, objectionable way, because, because he didn't know about it. He could have done a redirect and asked some questions, but he doesn't know the answer to those questions. So he's like, I can't fucking ask this guy about a statutory rape because I don't know. It could have been fucking could have been real bad. So he's like, I can't ask him about it. Right. I can't have a recess. I can't have a recess to talk to him about it. So it's like, you know, kind of fucked here. I like how obviously in the pocket that Spacey has Judge Noose in and every uh, appeal or um, objection that Brigantz has is uh, sustained, right? Well, for the most part. Right. But as the trial continues, um, the sheer curiosity of the judge being like, huh, I'm actually curious on where this is going. And I don't think the judge is 100% corrupt because he could have done some things and, and, and said some things that would have put uh, Samuel L. Jackson at a strong disadvantage. But I feel like when he started, um, what is it called when you let, when you let an object, if someone objects and you're like, no, fuck your objection, let him Overruled. continue. Overruled? Okay, thank you. When the judge starts overruling Spacey's objectives, objections, objections, um, you can tell it's done more out of his curiosity than him actually just trying to help or him trying to be, you know, lawful and just. It's just he's like, actually, I, I do wonder where this is going. Like this line of questioning is going. You go. Well, one thing, the, one thing the movie does a good job too of so that the judge doesn't get too far, too crazy, right? Is that um, in the beginning when he allows Jake to write the brief because Jake cites the cases that said that it's an appealable, reversible issue if you don't let me actually do my motion. Um, the judge is like, well, no judge wants to get reversed. And that is true. Like he, he probably wants Carly to go to jail because he knows that Carly was not insane and that Carly committed a crime, right? Now, there may be some racism with that too, but at the same time, what he really doesn't want to happen is to have a trial, Carly get convicted, and then it get fucking overturned and they have to do this all over again. Like, that's like the worst case scenario almost for any judge really is to have, like, you think you're done with something and then it has to come back to you. Um, so like at, that at least does make him to where he's going to be somewhat fair. Um, so after this, uh, I do love the one line from Lucian when Matthew McConaughey is sort of like, you know, what the fuck am I supposed to do anymore? And he's, you know, he's like, and I think he says something like, oh, I'm just trying to be you. And Lucian's like, don't be me. You got to be better than me. Um, and there's this whole like thing about which I've never really caught before, but like Lucian was a, 
the reason the reason he was disbarred was not because he's like an alcoholic or did something like that. It's because he like beat the shit out of some cops who crossed a picket line. Yeah. Or yeah, something like that. I like, I never had really caught that part before. Um, but anyway, next we get to Carly's testimony and this is like the most quotable line in the movie, but Carl, first of all, if you as the defendant in a murder trial testify, it's going to last a little more than the five minutes that this testimony lasts. Right. Um, but the DA asks him, like, basically, like, did they, did they deserve to die? And I, it's like the most famous line from this movie. Had you ever heard it before? You no. had seen this? No. Wow. Yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. I just had to do it. It's probably pretty loud, too. Did I just scream it at you? Yes. <laughs> I love that line. What's funny is when I had forgot about it and when it was coming up, I was like, oh my God, it's the line. It's about to happen. I don't know. I mean, maybe I've heard about this movie like a while back or in a film seminar. I don't know. But for, for my sake, for my knowledge, I have... N- never heard about this movie before you brought it up to me. Um, and I'm surprised because of who's in it and how good it is. So it also made it. It also made a shit ton of money at the time. Well, so did Behind Enemy Lines, and I never heard of the movie before. Apparently, it's a very overrated war movie. But I've never heard of it before, so, you know. Yeah, I think it's properly rated. Uh, so after this, he finds Roark. I do love how when she introduces herself, she's like, oh, it's Rourke, but everyone in the South for some reason calls me Roark, and he just proceeds to call her Roark for the entire movie. Um, but they find her. She's doing fine, um, but he's still, like, now just has, like, a crisis of faith, right? And he's like, I don't you know, I don't even know if this is worth it. And Sandra Bullock's like, it's only not worth it if Carly gets the gas chamber. Like, it's only, like, all of this will have been worth it if you fucking win. So go win. So that's what I kind of mean, and and I know you've already explained this before, but there's a point where he moves his wife and daughter out of the, the city, and um, I was like, he could still turn back now. Like nothing is greatly lost. And then his house burns down. And now I'm like, this guy has to go through with it, you know? Cause now apart from maybe his dog, he has, and his life, he has nothing to lose. Well, his secretary's husband died is a direct result of this. Yeah. But you know, we, as the audience never really met him. So we saw him get killed kind of. Um, so the jury votes again this time they're all guilty Uh, his wife comes back Ashley Judd and she's like I now know why you took this case it's because if they had done that to our daughter you would have fucking killed him too well duh Um, yeah but now we get to him going to see Carly in jail and he's like you need to take life in prison and he's like I can't I can't do life in prison like I, I just can't do it and so, like, we're obviously going to talk about Matthew McConaughey's speech, 
But Samuel Jackson's speech is almost just as good to Jake um, about like why he chose him. He's like, you think just like him. That's why I picked you. You know, when you see me, you don't see a man, you see a black man. And so, and then the whole thing about, it, he's like, yeah, we're not friends. You know, he says, Oh, Carly, we're friends. He's like, we're not friends. Our daughters don't play together. You don't even know where I live. He's like, you're not a bad guy. You don't mean, or he's like, you don't, you don't mean to be a bad guy, but you are like that whole thing is just so good. I do think though, like after everything's done, when Jake's, when like uh, Carly like thanks him and he's like, I don't thank me, you know, I'm one of the bad guys. Remember? I was like, you didn't really need to do that to him. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't need to throw that back into his face. He was dealing with a lot. Okay. (laughs) I thought it was great though. I like, I liked everything about that ending. And like you said, we already talked about McConaughey's speech, which I totally knew where he was going with this. I, I thought he was going to kind of end it a little differently. So instead of being like, you know, he says, now imagine she's white. And everyone's like, hush tones through the courtroom, right? But I thought she was, he was going to say something like, what color is she? Because he never uses her name. He says, imagine a little girl walking through the forest, these two guys... Like, he never uses any of their names. He just says the scenario. So I thought then he was going to be like, when you imagine the little girl, did you imagine a little black girl or did you imagine a little white girl? And what about the guys? Did you imagine two black guys or two white guys? And I thought he was going to kind of flip it on its head that way. But screenwriters knew what they were doing. (laughs) I'm glad you can admit it. (laughs) Leave it to them. Wrapped it up real nice and quick. And um, yeah, this is probably, this is probably like one of my favorite monologues in a movie. Um, It probably has been since like the day I first saw it. I will say uh, Kevin Spacey's was pretty good too. Especially like he's taking justice out of your hands. Like the way he delivers that is really good. Um, Like, I think he probably thought he had won it at that point. And then Jake Brigantz just comes in. Uh, One thing is I don't think you can really say like, don't punish Carly for my shortcomings, like trying to, uh, trying to like gain some votes there. I think that would probably be, maybe be a little objectionable. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's a, it's, can you object during a summation? It's called a closing argument. I'm going to keep saying summation. I don't really understand that, but okay, whatever. you can, I, ob- I thought... if something's, if something's super objectionable, like for example, uh, a lawyer just said something that was completely like, not something that was if they just said something that was the exact opposite of what was testified to at trial then you could probably object um if you can't object to during it then you could at least afterwards object and it might even cause like a mistrial if somebody said something really bad but um in certain situations you can't object yes gotcha okay i also that thought the uh, first sense. of all i was like i was like this is probably the most i was crying i was like crying like a baby during this but I thought the jury reactions were really good, like very subtle. Like you even see like the one racist dude like swallowing as he's going through the whole story. Yeah. And I also think keeping some of the details a little like vague about what happened to then reveal them in this monologue, I think makes it so much more effective because you don't fully know everything. You don't know how many like you know that she was raped and you see that she was like hung that one time but you don't fully know like 
how many times they tried to kill her, right? So I think that makes it so much more effective at the end. I don't think you have any idea about throwing her off the bridge. No. Which, um, and you know, you said it's one of your favorite monologues and, and I totally get it. I'm not trying to like call you out or anything, but it was hard to hear. Like I need a bit before I can come back to this movie. It's a great movie, but it, I, I need a little bit of a breather. This is like when I made you watch Prisoners all over again. Oh man, um, I, I, I'd watch Prisoners right now. Prisoners are so for fucking good. One of the best decisions in this movie is the way the verdict is announced. Okay, it's I wanted the, to it's, talk it's, to you about that. It's so fucking smart. It builds such tension. The way, I mean, I think you know after that speech the way it's going to go, but the fact that you don't have the 12 jurors in the jury box and one of them standing up and you've seen it every fucking law and order and movies all the time. Instead, you have the dead silence outside for what feels like 10 to 15 seconds. And then the little boy just running out and saying he's innocent is so fucking smart. Was that his boy? I don't think so. It was just a random kid. Because there's not a lot of like little kids in this movie. There's his kids and then maybe like a few neighborhood kids. But it was good. It was good. Uh, Here's my question, though. In the time that that all happens, doesn't the jury have to go back in for final deliberation, come out, then announce it to the courtroom? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. So it it made it seem way faster than it actually would have taken. Even it, yeah, even in cases where like, you know, a jury decides very quickly, that would have been really fucking quick in a in a murder case. Um, unless like they go back there and one of the jurors is just like, just let you fucking know, I will never vote guilty on this. So if you guys want to be out of here quick, um, I do think like the moment where his daughter comes through the crowd and they have that hug is also really fucking cool. And the fact that you didn't like even well up to that, um, you're a monster. I mean, I'm sorry. I just, I, it was nice. And it was like, it was, it was, a. I just didn't cry, man. Um, and then maybe a little hokey, uh, Matthew McConaughey coming over to the barbecue, the audacity of Ashley Judd to bring peach cobbler. Just who do you think you are? It's probably had like raisins in it or something. Um, I think you could find that final scene hokey the way the daughters introduce each other. I love it. I think it's great. Um, As we talk about this, obviously this is a little bit of a white savior movie, but I do think it is very well done. I think the Samuel Jackson part of it isn't, I think they give him enough in this, the way that he kind of tricks the, uh, the other, the people to pay for his lawyer and to give, you know, to, to give the money to his family and how he set all that up, the way he motivates Jake with his, like, final monologue. Um, I, just, I don't know. I just love this movie. I think it's really well done, even with maybe some of the, uh, some of the nitpicks or some of the problems people can have with it. I, thought, I love it. No, you know, I, when I first sat down and we started talking about it, I was like, wow, this is a great movie. This is really really awesome and then as we talk about it we start kind of nitpicking certain things about it and being kind of a white savior film and um certain 
socio-political things that it this film kind of says uh I, i'm like okay there are problems but i still love it and real quick before we end um your your boy bruce dern almost played judge noose like you i like how you say my boy like <laughs> i met him one time but yes um, and then real quick, I just want to go through all the, uh, I already talked about how the Matthew McConaughey almost went for the, uh, the Kiefer Sutherland role. So Kevin Costner was considered for the role, but he wanted complete control of the movie. And so uh, John Grisham, who wrote the book, was like, get the fuck out of here. And then Woody Harrelson wanted the role and John Grisham said, get the fuck out of here, which that, that's I love nice. Matthew, I love Matthew McConaughey in this, but I actually think Woody, Woody Harrelson is a very underrated actor by a lot of people. Um, and then Joel Schumacher, while filming Batman Forever, offered the role to Val Kilmer, who said no. Uh, he would have been great in this. It may have replaced The Ghost in the Darkness as my favorite Val Kilmer movie. A young Val Kilmer? A young Val Kilmer. And then finally, uh, Alec Baldwin, Brad Pitt, Bill Paxton, Ray Fiennes, and Aiden Quinn. Brad Pitt would have been great. I mean, Brad Pitt and Matthew McConaughey can replace each other in a lot of movies. I, I like Brad Pitt as an actor a little bit more, but Matthew McConaughey, I think, has done quite a bit of things to prove he's a great actor. So, um, you, and also, uh, Woody, yeah, Woody would have been fine. Woody oh, would have yeah, been yeah. fine. Yeah, I think I would have liked Woody more than, than Brad Pitt. Um, do you like Alec Baldwin as an, as an actor? I would have liked him in this role. He would have been much better in Kevin Spacey's role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, just like in general. Because the reason I ask is because he's in Along Came Polly. So you're in, he, he actually has, he's one of the funniest characters in that movie. So I think you, you're in for a treat. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched... A Time to Kill.